10.30, doing your thing, you'll do so well. Wow, this is great. You guys know we've got about four or five months of construction, so uh, we don't, I, mean, I told my wife and my staff, I'm not doing a fourth service before we get into the new building. Never say never, but um, this is great. And uh, we had, a, uh, I think, our largest, maybe our largest 915 service this morning, 146 adults and kids. So this is, uh, is going to be too much fun. Um, but I'm glad that you're here. If you weren't here last week, hopefully you know we introduced what's next for Epic Church last week. So many of you are here. If you weren't here, I hope that uh, you, you saw on Twitter or Facebook or you got the podcast or maybe you at least got the next newsletter this week. Our team did a brilliant job with these. If you did not get one of these, maybe uh, we have a bad address or no address for you. Uh, maybe the postman, you know, there was a bad handoff from us to you through him or her. Uh, so if you didn't get one of these, grab one at the info table on your way out this morning. And you can get caught up with what's next for Epic Church. I appreciate your enthusiasm about what God is leading us to do. We said last week, it really seems like this only God moment that only God could pr provide the kind of thing that we feel like he's leading us to step into. And so uh, it's going to be fun to step into it. But when you ask the question, what's next, by the way, we gave these wristbands out, if you're a guy, bracelets, if you're a girl last week. Um, we, we've been asking this, and I've heard, you know, in my mind, things are, it's kind of a simple deal, just a reminder to pray, as I said last week, and then an uh, individual in my small group this week said, when you gave me this band, it changed everything. And so I'm like, I can give you more. I mean, we can, you know, listen, until we, till we run out. And so he was just letting me know some things God had done in his life as he began to ask the question, what's next? And so we were asking it as a church, but I want us to ask it broader than just the church. I want you to ask it for your life. What's next for you? What's next in your life? What's your next step of faith in Jesus? What does that look like? Is it a commitment to read your Bible, maybe? Maybe it's a commitment to, to be baptized. Our next baptism's on Easter. Any day you get baptized in the year, awesome. Easter, extra awesome, okay? Um, so baptisms for Easter, four weeks from today. Uh, go ahead and mark your calendars and start your invites. Easter looks like this for us, four services, 8.30, 9.45, 11, and 12.15. Uh, as many of you, should I even beg them to come to the 830? They're not going to. They are not. I mean, 915 was our best shot at getting somebody to come to the 830. Um, we're not going to give prizes out if you come to early church that day or anything like that. But any of you that grew up with the sunrise service, that's the closest we've got, okay? 830 on Easter. Um, but I want you to ask, what's next for you? What's next in your work? What's next in your marriage? What's next for your family? What's, what's next when it comes to your mission and your purpose? This is a question that is a great one to ask all of the time. And I want to tell you, sometimes the answer to what's next gets determined by opportunities that come to the surface, things that we didn't expect or things that we were unaware of. In fact, in, in Nehemiah's life, a character we're going to look at starting this morning for the next four weeks, he's got, he, he's got his own, own life. Everything's just smooth, but as it has happened in many of our lives, something surfaces that interrupts the normal plan. Have you ever had that happen in your life? Everything just seemed like it was going to be this thing or another thing, and then something comes into the fold, and all of a sudden, what's next is answered in a different way. In 445 B.C., Nehemiah is serving over in Persia as the cupbearer to the king. He's a Jewish guy. He's from Jerusalem, and, but now he's out in Persia serving as the cupbearer to the king. And one day, one of his brothers, Hanani, comes to him and says to him, hey, bro, like literally, hey, hey they're brothers. So he's like, hey, hey, man, I want you to know things in Jerusalem are not 
not good. In fact, things in Jerusalem aren't good at all in our homeland. And, and so what had happened, if you know any of the Jewish history, uh, Jerusalem had been besieged a number of times. And um, after this time, uh, some of the exiles were allowed to go back and settle into Jerusalem. Um, but Hanani lets Nehemiah know, here's the thing. Um, it's not good. The wall has been broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. And so when Nehemiah hears this, this launches him into what's next for him. And sometimes what will happen relationally or in your job, you know, sometimes you think you're going to have your job for the next 10 years. Boss walks in and says, uh, you don't have it for the rest of this week. That alters how you answer what's next. Something happens with your health, right? Going along smoothly, but then how you answer what's next is altered by uh, some devastating news maybe, or, or something happens with your parents and all of a sudden what's next is no longer you staying here, but you going to take care of them. It can be a million different things, but for Nehemiah, he has a decision to make in this moment. He lives in Persia. What's going on is back in his homeland that he cares about, but he does something that he doesn't have to do, but he does anyway. He, he, he leans into what actually is. And when you and I think about what's next, the first thing you need to do is just realize what is current reality. Even if it's hard, even if it hurts, even if we don't want to look at it and feel it and acknowledge it, you just need to be honest with yourself. What is today? What, what is our current reality? But Nehemiah doesn't stop there. He looks at what is, and then he also thinks about and considers what should be. And if you want to know, Ben, how do I answer the question in my life for our church, for my family, for my work, what's next? Here's how we answer the question. We, we, we acknowledge what is, we look at what should be, and all of the what's next steps get answered according to this journey, right? So something is this way, it needs to be that way, what's next develops our really our plan and our process. And the larger the gap, the, larger, the, the more steps there will be between what is and what should be. So Nehemiah, he doesn't just see what is, he also is going to see what should be. And the very first thing he does is ask God to make things different. And that's not the last thing and only thing we necessarily should do, but it's the first thing we should do. And it's what he does. He, he just says, God, would you make things different? Would you give me favor? And for four months, according to how the book of Nehemiah is laid out, all he's doing is praying and thinking and planning for four months. Now, before we get into what Nehemiah does, I think you and I should evaluate how we're doing in these two areas, looking at what actually is and considering what should be. Looking at what is, it is very easy to pretend like things are okay when they're not, isn't it? It is especially easy to pretend like things in some other part of the world or some other part of the city or some other department or someone that's not an immediate family member. It's very easy to pretend like that is either no big deal or like it doesn't exist. It's very easy to do that. So I want to start by asking you this question in regards to what is. Where in your life are you refusing to acknowledge what actually is? Where in your life are you refusing to acknowledge what actually is? Maybe it's in your marriage. You're telling yourself, in fact, you and your spouse even agree, um, at least we have a better marriage than the couple across the hall. Way to go. Or maybe you say to your spouse, you know what, or think to yourself, well, I'm sure all marriages are just sort of um, mediocre like ours. At least we're still together. Right? Maybe it's not in your marriage. Maybe it's in your work. Where are you refusing to acknowledge in your work, in your company, and how you do your work, what actually is? Maybe you're refusing to acknowledge what is when it comes to your habits, your hangups, or your addictions. You keep telling yourself, I can beat this anytime I want to. Well, my question to you is, why haven't you? Maybe it's 
what actually is in our city. Maybe there's parts of the city we actually ignore because we don't have to live there. Maybe it is what is in our world. There's something in our world that just isn't the way that it should be. What is it for you? For Nehemiah, he he could have pretended like everything was fine, or he could have pretended like, you know what, I hate it for my people, but he's in a good place now. He's got a good job. He doesn't have to be involved intrinsically in what's going on back in Jerusalem at all. But he's moved deeply by what's going on. And so he acknowledges what is. His heart is crushed, if you were to read. And go back and read chapter 1 of Nehemiah. His heart is crushed. But he doesn't give up there. Sometimes we see what is and we just give up, don't we? He sees what is. He thinks about what should be. It's a huge gulf between the two, but he's willing to get involved. And his first area of involvement is to ask God to be present and do something in his midst that can make things different. So we must acknowledge what is. But once you and I acknowledge what is, we can't stop there. We must move on to what should be. So we see what is, but then we move on to what should be. I did not say we need to look at all of the possibilities of what could be. Here's something you know, but let me remind you. There are over a million things you could do with your life. What should you do? There are over a million things we could do as a church. What should we do? Here's here's another question if you want to know how to answer this question. And I want everyone to really put their thinking cap on this morning and, and really lean into your own wiring, your giftedness, what God has allowed you to experience. Here's another way to answer that question. What is the thing or what are the few things that you know if you don't lean into them with the rest of your life, you will be living out of alignment with how God intended you to live? I'm going to give some space there. You want me to move on so you don't have to think about it, but let me just give you some space right there. What is the thing or the very few things, I'm thinking like one, two, or three things that you know that however many years left you have on this earth, you know that if you don't lean into that particular thing, You know you're not living in alignment with how God created you to live. What is that for you? But you can't just see what is, and you can't just stop at what should be, because all that necessarily makes us then is a dreamer, right? And so we just sit around like, it would be awesome if someone would do something. Education needs to be better. Crime in this neighborhood in our city needs to be more protected. Boom, 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 right? But Andy Stanley in his book, Visioneering, compares the difference between a dreamer and a visionary. He says it this way, dreamers dream about things being different. Visionaries envision themselves making a difference. Which are you? I can lie awake all night thinking about what should be different in our city, in our church, in my marriage. I could even pray, as I should. But usually God asks us to act, even as we are asking him first to act. We ask for his involvement, and then he turns around and he asks us to get involved in what's going on. But Nehemiah isn't just a dreamer. He knows what is. He knows what should be. He's willing to get involved, but he spends four months praying for God to give him favor. And then he sets out. And remember, he's cupbearer to the king. So he has this great conversation with the king. But first, he has a conversation with God. I want you to see it. Nehemiah chapter 2. If you have a Bible, if you need one, lift a hand and we'll get one into your hands this morning. Just keep your hands up. In the Bibles we're passing out, we're on page 255 this morning. For the rest of us, Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah is an Old Testament book. It sits between Ezra and Esther. Page 255 on the Bibles that we've just passed out. Would you all stand with me as we, we look at this together? And I just want you to be thinking, am I refusing to acknowledge what is? Have I moved on to considering what should be? But am I still stuck in the dreamer stage? Many of us say we have a passion for things being different. 
most of us need to move beyond just having a passion, okay? We need to allow our passion to fuel us, to launch us into the thing that God wants us to do when we ask the question, what's next for our life? So here's what happens after the four months Nehemiah has been praying and planning. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, Nehemiah is saying this, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. You may be seated. So we explore Nehemiah's mission from God. And as we think about our own and we answer the question, what's next? The first thing that you see from Nehemiah, this is four months later after the initial news has broke to him and he's he still can't get over it he still can't shake the thing i don't know about you when i when i sense pain like this or when i sense sadness like this i want to remove myself from it as quickly as possible or bring it to some end conclusion some resolve so that i can move on to something else anybody else but some things in my heart, I just don't get over that quickly. And some things we shouldn't get over that quickly. Four months later, Nehemiah cannot hide it. He is sad. He cannot pretend like things are any different than they actually are. He says to the king, king, he's never been sad in his presence before. So, so Tim Milner never cries, okay? This would be the equivalent of our executive pastor, Tim, crying, okay? He's, Tim's never, one of my sons tells me they think they saw him crying during a prayer night. But anyway, um, Tim refutes it. He's never been sad in the king's presence before. And he just says to the king, listen, I can't pretend like things are any better than they actually are. Why should I not be sad? My town, my city, my people, my homeland in Jerusalem, things are terrible there. And I won't pretend that they're any different. Where are you pretending things are okay when deep inside your soul, you know, it's not okay. What are you lying to yourself about? in your own life that no one knows, in your relationships, and how you do your work? What excuses are you and I bringing to the table rather than acknowledging, wait a minute, something is not as it should be? And we tend to lean away from those moments because we don't want to feel the pain. Thankfully, Nehemiah gives us this great example of what it's like to lean into the situation that God breaks our hearts for. And so he's moved and he leans in and he's like, oh, King, how could I not be sad? This thing is terrible. Of course I'm heartbroken. This thing is terrible. Uh, and, and then the king asks him this great question. It's the question we want our bosses to ask us. It's the question we want those in authority, organizations. For me, the country of India, I want them to ask me this question. The question is this. What do you want me to do? Right? What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. 
It's a question we think we love, but many of us aren't prepared to answer this question. If your boss comes to you and asks you this question, what's your response? Have you thought about it? If one of our staff members asks you to step into a leadership role here at Epic, have you, have you spent any time preparing for that? If there's a relational commitment that is going to be asked of you soon. And a question I want to ask you is this. How are you preparing for what you hope will be accomplished one day? How are you preparing for what you hope will be accomplished one day? I'm going to show you some things that for most of us haven't changed since we were kids to now being adults. Keep your hands up if you've done any of these things. Anybody sang in any kind of group growing up? Church choir, school choir, just keep your hands up. We're not laughing. We're just wishing we were you. Now keep them up. Don't keep them up. How, and then if, you, if your hand's not up and you played some instruments or, or you did dance or anything, you played any kind of sports before, like as a kid or whatever. All right, keep those hands up. I'm with you on really just the sports one, unfortunately. But um, I made the all-star team as a little leaguer. Um, some things haven't changed at all. And here's what, here's what hasn't changed. Growing up in those realms, most of us hated preparation. Most of us hated practice, but we loved the games, right? And if we're honest, most of us only endured practice times back then if we knew there was a good day coming. Listen, the three hours or so I spent on the stage on Sunday, it's my favorite time of the week. Preparation isn't my favorite time of the week, but I've had Sundays where I didn't have preparation, and then it did not become my favorite day of the year, right? And you know this is crucial. So how are you preparing for what you hope will become true in the what should be category one day? Are you thinking through it? We hate preparation, but this is where God does the work so that when game day comes, we're ready to step into it. It took us 18 months of preparation to start this church. And if you know me and my impatience factor in my life, I'm so, I just, I want to go and I want to go now. There were so many times throughout the 18 months where I just wanted to say, you know what? Forget the plan. Let's just get out there and do this thing. But when people ask me now, like, Ben, besides God being present in the midst of the move and helping you guys start and being in a good location, all this kind of stuff, like, what's one of the things you would attribute to the health of our church? One of the things I would absolutely um, attribute to the health of our church was the preparation time it took. We didn't make rash decisions. We didn't have to find a facility overnight, on and on and on. And I want to ask you, well, how are you preparing for the thing you sense God stirring in you? Let me encourage you. If you sense God stirring you in a direction, don't say, God, I will be good to go with that when everything, whenever everything's ready for the public stage. That public stage will never come, or if it does come, you won't be able to handle it with integrity if you don't prepare for it. Some of you starting to think you're with the person you want to spend the rest of your life with. Some of you are engaged right now. How are you preparing for what's to come? Some of you got stirring to start this new kind of business thing. The only way for you to be able to move away from what you have may be to lower your lifestyle. How are you preparing for that? Maybe Lindsay's going to ask you to lead a small group one day, and you sense that that's coming because she's asked you the last three times, and you've said no. So you know it's coming. It's coming again. How are you preparing? What books are you reading? What mentors do you have? Friends, we don't have to wait till game day to prepare for game day. Nehemiah spent four months praying. He's thinking strategically. And when the king asked him, Nehemiah knew exactly what he wanted to tell the king. If he asked you or if she asked you or if the company or organization or if I ask you, are you prepared to move forward to seize an opportunity? What if an opportunity presents itself in your life, in your marriage, with your family, in our church, in our city? Are you ready to move forward? Nehemiah was. And so he says in verse 5, I believe, he said, So I prayed to the God of heaven. So here's how this is going. The king asks him a question. Nehemiah throws up a prayer. Now, when it comes to leadership, I usually don't encourage multitasking. 
I don't want the guy that's flying the jet to be doing, you know, a crossword puzzle. Anybody else? No. But Nehemiah shows us that multitasking can be good. Look, look at what's happening with Nehemiah and the king here. He's having an audible conversation with the king while simultaneously his heart is whispering a prayer to God. What, 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 what prayer whispers do you need to reveal to God in the midst of that big interview or in the midst of going before this person? And, and, and he's asking, you know what he's asking, right? He doesn't say it. Uh, just knowing how he talks in, in this passage and what he says God's doing, he's asking for God's favor in this moment. He's asking for God's favor. And he says, as the text goes on, he says that he received the favor of the king. In verse 5, he says, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, send me to Judah. And we know, because of how this goes, that he got favor from the king. And if you're new to Epic, or if you've been around a while, you may come to understand really soon that the thing that we pray more for our church than any other word is God's favor. Here's why. We believe that God's favor over a church, over a marriage, over a ministry, over a new move, over the next initiative, over what God's going to do in our city, and our world, through our church, we think God's favor is the greatest distinction that exists on the planet. It makes an impossible job one you can actually get. It makes an impossible move one we can actually make. God's favor, and he gets favor from God, and then God's favor is so overwhelming that he gets favor from the king. And then what's interesting to me is that Nehemiah doesn't just ask for permission from the king. I would have stopped there, right? Anybody else like me, like, I don't want to press my luck. Anyone? Like, I got permission. Let's walk out now. But Nehemiah's like, oh, by the way, thanks for permission, um, but could we get some stuff from your forest to build this thing? He doesn't just ask for permission. He asks for influence. Whose influence do you need to accomplish the thing that should be that God is stirring your heart up towards? And then Nehemiah says in verse 8, he said, The king granted me what I asked for, not because the king was awesome, though he was benevolent in this moment. He says in verse 8, I think we can bring that on the screen, verse 8. He says, The king granted me what I wanted because the good hand of my God was upon me. The good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah recognized something that you and I need to recognize. No matter how powerful your boss is, no matter how powerful your company is for me, no matter how powerful the country is I'm trying to adopt my daughter from, they don't have ultimate power. And so if God's good hand would be upon something, it could make all the difference in the world. It reminds us of a verse that we've come to love here at Epic Church. If you're new here, let us introduce it to you. Proverbs 21.1, which says this, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So when God's hand is on your thing, as you're seeking to accomplish what he stirred in you, and you're willing to get involved, whatever the king's heart is represented in your situation, you need to know that God can turn that thing wherever he wants to. Space down the street that we've been talking about, we've talking about a lot to come. Just incredible um, how this thing showed up. I never thought, A, there were parts of me and parts uh, of the situation where I thought we're going to have to leave Soma as a church. And I certainly never thought that we would get into a better location than we're getting to. I just, just okay, little faith then, whatever. That's just, that's just what I thought. And then it looks like we're going to get it and all of a sudden we get a call that, hey, there's a gym that's actually going to get it. And I'm just assuming that God turned the heart of CrossFit wherever he wanted. Because <laughs> we won. But God can do this. God can do this. He can get involved. He can, he can make all the difference in the world. 
And, and God can use all of us. I mean, he says that God, God granted, God's hand was on him and the king granted him whatever it was that he asked. Some of us, when we get into situations like this, we don't pray about it and we don't get involved. Because you know if you start praying about it, you can't pretend like it doesn't exist. And if you can pretend like it doesn't exist, you don't have to assume responsibility for it, do you? Some of us don't pray or get involved. Some of us only pray and refuse to get involved. Some of us refuse to pray and we only get involved. But what Nehemiah is showing us throughout his story is what we need to lean in as a church community and do. We need to pray and we need to be willing to get involved. Prayer plus involvement is what God's looking for in our lives. He, he, he wants us to, to move forward in what he's got for us. Where in life right now are you just pretending like something's not that big of a deal or everything's okay? Where are you pretending that everything is okay? Is it in your private life? Is it in your relationships? Is it in how you do your work? Is it in what's broken in our city? Is it the injustices of our world? Where are you, if you think about a, a mental image of you walking on a sidewalk, which we can do easily here in San Francisco, but just think in, in, a, in, a, um, in, in the kind of world in your mind, like thinking about issues and, and what you think your heart should be drawn towards. What in your world are you just walking by on the sidewalk and pretending like it doesn't exist? And you know that if you keep refusing to lean into it, you will not live congruently with God's thing for your life. You know you won't. You can't avoid it. You quit watching movies about it, didn't you? You quit having friendships with people that challenge you towards it. You quit attending a church where they were going to stand up and say things like we're saying this morning. Because if you can pretend or don't hear about it, guess what? You can do whatever you want. What do you need to lean into what do I need to lean into? Here's the deal. God can use anyone. I hope you believe that. My story's proof. Many of your stories are proof. God can use anyone, but he can't use anyone who refuses to acknowledge what is. And he can't use anyone who refuses to get involved, but he can use anyone, anyone who's willing to look to God for what is, ask God to make things different, and when God says, will you get involved, is willing to say yes. Let me give you a couple questions in regards to this. Are you inviting God into these spaces of your life? Are you inviting God into these spaces of your life? Are you asking God to come in and do something? And here's the flip of that question. It's another question. Could it be possible that God is inviting you into these spaces and his plans for our world? Friends, there's nothing more beautiful than what God stirs in you intersects with what he's up to in our world. There's no greater joy that you'll wake up with than when you're living in the center of what you know God's created you to do, and it answers this great thing that God's up to next in our world. There's nothing like that. And listen, friends, we're not always talking about this huge thing where you go and start something, or you, you start a church, or it's not always a huge thing. Sometimes it's just you being an example as a married couple. Sometimes it's you, though you have this great title in your company, it's you bowing down and serving people that don't have that title and are nowhere near that title. I don't know what it is, but when that intersects, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So we invite God into the spaces, but we can't shun him. Some of us pray and invite God into these spaces, and then we shun him when he offers us an invitation. 
right? God, would you? God, would you? Please, please, please. And then God's like, um, Ben, would you? Will you? Will you go? Will you do? Will you sacrifice? Will you lean in? What's God asking you to do? I want you to invite him into these spaces, but if he's asking you, when it was time to start a church, we asked God and we invited him in to make this thing work, and then God invited some of us, 10 to 15 of us, to get up at 5.30 a.m. on Sundays to load in at the W. God gave us a space, but our involvement, now we had like a, um, you can't hold anything against anyone prior to 7 o'clock. Like if somebody yells at you, even if it's a pastor, didn't really happen. It's kind of like it stays in Vegas thing. And then when we needed leaders in our church, God, would you help us build leaders? Would you bring leaders from other cities to move into San Francisco, be a part of our church? And, and then we realized our part was to say, hey, here's an opportunity to lead. Recently, God, would you give us a new space? And now God's given you and I an opportunity to be involved in that, isn't he? He's looking, I think, for maximum participation from our community. Don't make 20% of us hold the rope for you. If you're part of this community, this is an all-in moment. Watch this. I'm asking you, if you're part of this church, let's step into this opportunity collectively. It's going to take all of us. Maximum participation if you're part of this church community. And I want to ask you, as your pastor, as your friend, as a guy who's leaning in for this initiative, just to say, lean in with me. But here's what I'm betting is true this morning. This isn't the only thing you and I need to lean into with our lives. What is God stirring in you that you need to start paying attention to or paying attention to again? Where are you refusing to acknowledge what is? And today, you just need to go, God, I pretend like that's not a big deal, but I know that you've created me to do something about it. And things should be over here, God, and they're not. So help me understand what's next. And remember, this isn't, you get one life. If somebody hasn't said that depressing reality to you lately. You get one life. Tons of things that could be. Few that should be. What should be? Do you know that Jesus' entire mission revolved around what was compared to what should be? Do you know the reason God sent him, as Paul says in Galatians 4.4, when the time was right, the Father sent the Son to redeem us. Jesus didn't come just to do something cool that we would write about for history purposes. He came because what was didn't match the heart of what God wanted to be. He didn't come to make himself okay with God. He came to make you and I good with God because that was on the Father's heart. And so Jesus answered what's next when he realized what is doesn't match what should be. So his what's next became the cross and thankfully the resurrection. It's a pivotal time in our church. You know that. And I'm just not talking about a building. God's doing something in our midst that I don't even know how to describe the stories that we're hearing, what we're sensing, what's going on in the families of our church, the individuals who are deciding to stay and give themselves long-term to this city for the sake of Jesus. I don't know what all is going to happen, but I do know this. You don't want to miss it. And I don't mean the epic thing. I mean the Jesus thing. So whether you live here or elsewhere, lean into what he's got for you. Even if it hurts to feel what is, don't live hopelessly because what is doesn't have to be what can be. And when God steps into it and he gets involved as you invite him in and you say yes to his invitation, all things become possible. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are stirring um, so much in our church, God, and, and yes, that includes the space, and yes, that includes the growth, but oh God, it is not limited to a building, and it is not limited to a number of people. Jesus, you're on the move, and I thank you that you led us here to be a part of this thing several years ago. I pray that the best is still yet to come, and God, for my friends in this room, Lord, I pray that you would bring some to faith in yourself. They've been putting that off. They've been pretending like faith doesn't even exist, and God, you've awoken their 
hearts this morning. I pray that they would lean into the reality that following Jesus is what is best and they would orient their lives around you, Lord. And for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that we would lean into the thing that you've created us to think about, to do something about, God. And as we see what is and what should be, God, may we invite you into these spaces. And God, may we sense you inviting us to do our part. God, we are not in San Francisco on accident. We are not in this neighborhood by accident. We're not alive in 2014 by accident. So God, awaken us to what it is you want to do. And we respond to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's respond.